Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course, my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Heal Squad, it's Kelsey. You know those hard human emotions like fear, anger, frustration, grief, loneliness? Those hard human emotions that we all deal with and we know we have to sit in them because that's our only way we heal, but it's hard to sit in them. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. You know what? We have Elizabeth Gilbert, though, on the show today, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, and she is giving us tools to how to get unstuck. Our guest today, as we have been saying, is the New York Times bestselling author of Eat, Pray, Love, Big Magic, and City of Girls. She's widely renowned for her award-winning fiction, nonfiction, and her speaking appearances. She's considered a global thought leader on the subject of creativity and I'm so excited to chat with Elizabeth Gilbert. How are you? Hello, I'm excellent. How are you? I'm great. So I was out meditating this morning, and then I was listening to you on audiobook, just laying down, and I'm staring at the sky, and I'm like, wait, how come, like, we don't, like, we should be facing the sky. The answers are kind of like in the sky, but we're walking this way. <laughs> and I was having this kind of like moment of like, kind of, you know, intense thought about our direction in life, obviously gravity. Like you still using that CBD cream? Shut up, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, I'll why? Tell you something, Maria. I had a friend who said to me years ago, I was in a moment of chaos and I had a bunch of house guests and the place was a mess and I was having that horrible feeling of losing control. And she taught me a trick, which was to, to lay on the floor and look at your ceiling because it's usually the only part of your house that isn't cluttered. <laughs> oh, that's great. And, um, and, and it's like, you look at the ceiling and I mean, unless you have a huge leak or a huge crack, it's kind of like, well, everything's in order there. You know? <laughs> just, don't, just don't cast your eyes down at the sink level, you know? So maybe what you were talking about was sort of the meta version of that, expanding it to just look up at the sky. Everything's fine there. I know, right? It's so beautiful. It's it's eternal. It's endless. There's there's no like I I feel like um you know when I moved from Boston to California um, when I was home I always felt like there was like a ceiling like just crouching and pushing me down. Then when I moved to California because this is where I could pursue my dreams, it was like uh-huh. you know. Ah, 
And you're in Connecticut right now, right? Or New York? I, no, I'm actually in New Jersey. I oh, have, Jersey. Um, I have this little house. It's actually, I have an old church that I bought 15 years ago and turned into a little two bedroom house. And it's such a magical place. So I'm in a really good spot to be waiting all of this out. I'm, I'm one of the people you don't need to be worrying about. It's it's a lovely spot. I love that. You know who else has done that? And she was a guest on my show and I love her. And I have a weird feeling you probably know her. Susie Betis. I don't know her. Oh, you would love Maybe. her. She created um, Poopery. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's quite a legacy. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. And she's amazing. And she, humanity. yeah. And <laughs> she bought, um, she bought a church. I think it's, uh, it's in Texas and she did the same thing. It's so, so ma- wait, can I show, can yes, I show you? Yes, please. I just want you to see, I just want you to see the windows because it's tiny. It's it's weird. It's a tiny little box. It's an old, like 1780 chapel. Wow. Um, so it's not a lot of space, but it's mostly windows. Um, and it's really just a box of light. Okay. Can you see the size oh, of that? Wow. Window? So there's six of those. Wow. Over there too. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? It's so peaceful. Um, I love it so much. It's been such a sanctuary. So many of my friends, I, I literally use it as a church, meaning as a sanctuary. So anybody who's going through a divorce, Anybody who's getting over an addiction, I'm always like, come stay at the church. You know, I'll just send them out here. And so this church is filled with all sorts of people who came here to heal, plus the centuries of prayer that were in here before I got my hands on it. So it's it's pretty magical space. That's so cool. I feel like, um, you know, we've so many things that we could talk about. And, and I was telling everyone earlier how um, I feel a connection to your journey because I've gone on my version of that journey too, where I think at the end of the day, it's about kind of finding the permission to be yourself, which is still something I, I feel like I I'm working on. Um, and then it's, it's kind of like finding out what you want to do. (laughs) And it's, it's also, um, it's, it's realizing what's important, right? Yep. I, there's a couple things that, that I think of with that. Um, one is how honored I am that there, there didn't used to be a name for the phenomenon of a woman pushing a pause button on her life to go in search of inner peace, either traveling or going inward and taking a break to figure that out. And now there's a term for it. Like it's your eat, pray, love journey. You know, like everyone knows there's like a shorthand for it. Everyone knows what it means. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people come up to me and say like, I'm in the middle of my eat, pray, love journey right now, or my daughter's on her eat, pray, love journey. It's, I'm so honored that my contribution to the English lexicon is a word for when a woman stops everything and goes and takes care of herself Yeah, goes on a journey. It's such an important and beautiful thing to do. And I also also often describe myself as a walking permission slip. If, if I could do nothing but walk around the world telling people, especially telling women that they have my permission, if they need anybody's permission, they have my permission to um, be who they are, figure out what works for them, walk away from any culture or family pressures that are oppressing them, anything. Like, I just feel like I just want to hand out permission slips yeah. all over the place. And that's, that's basically what I do which is beautiful and we need it. I wonder, 
Um, and this is a, a weird comparison, but um, I, I had a guest on the show who did a sketch comedy series. Um, her name is Eliza Schlesinger, and she had this oh, amazing. Isn't she amazing? Yeah, so great. Okay, so, so great. did you see her most recent sketch comedy series on Netflix where she talked? Um, she had a sketch called Ladies. No, I didn't see it. And it was remind me, maybe it's like it's like almost like her version of the view. And all of these girls Uh are all self congratulatory. And it's like me, 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 me. And, and, uh, you know, for me, what I need and me and me and me. And it makes me wonder, you know, how how someone can take your message. And it's it's a thing that I have struggled with as well and and apply it correctly and is that is that me trying to control too much because you know when i i remember after i was diagnosed with my brain tumor my mom had just been diagnosed months before and it was like what the heck and um i was asked how how i was feeling by someone and i said i'm just dying to be me and i was really exhausted of living a life that i had built that i didn't want anymore and, um, you know, expectations and just, just a rat race of madness. Right. And so, um, sometimes when I, I see those sketches and I'm like, oh gosh, am I that person too? Right. <laughs> well, I guess the fact that it makes you not want to be that person is a little bit of the answer. Like you have enough humility that that's the last thing in the world that you would want to be. Right. And my own experience with certainly my own experience with going deeper and deeper into a spiritual journey is that the deeper you get into that, into that stillness and into the mystery of that, the more humility it gives you. Um, and so you become sort of the opposite of the person who's like me, me, me. And you're more like, how can I serve and how can I be of use? And what is my actual, what is my actual service? Um, not my martyrdom, not my desperation to please, not my desperation to acquire, but is there some place in here where I can be of use? Um, and that becomes the question. Somebody said, like, first you go looking for God and then God has work for you to do. Um, and so I, I completely get and would also laugh at and would have the same reaction as you. I'm sure if I was watching that, I would be like, oh God, please don't let that be me. But that would then literally be my prayer. Like, please don't let that be me. Yeah. Um, you know, please, please keep me in, in humility. And I think part of humility too, is being in, it doesn't feel like, maybe it doesn't sound like our traditional definition of humility, but part of it is being honest about what you are not, you know? Um, and, and that is a really big one for me. I always talk about the power of the two words, not this. A lot of times people are in situations that are not working for them They're in relationships that are not working. They're in job situations that are not working. They've pleased themselves to the brink they've you know achieved or acquired themselves to the brink and they stay in it because they don't have a vision yet for the alternative um and it's so frightening to think of walking away from something and not walking into something right you want to make sure you have your next steps figured out or at least that's what most of us want because we want to be able to control everything and i always say that you don't actually need to know what comes next sometimes you just need to say this two words that I think begin every journey, which is not this, you know, I don't know what I am, but I know that I'm not this. I'm not the person who needs to be in this abusive relationship. I'm not the person who needs to be worked to death. I'm not, I don't know. And people will often challenge you on that when you start saying that and they'll be like, okay, so what do you want to do? (laughs) And the humility comes from saying, I don't know. 
Um, but I have to start by at least saying not this. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) 
<laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. I was thinking yesterday about all of the women who read your book and connected so much that they were like, I'm divorcing, I'm done, I feel this connection. And then they went off on their journeys is and 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 for the people maybe who are going to get to your book now, maybe that hadn't gotten to it. Um, is it as easy as just saying, not this and just go where your kind of heart's content is and, and follow your bliss? Or is there realities you should be taking into account? Like where, where is that line for you when you're, you know, giving advice to a friend who's like, I just want to like, quit and just move and just go travel and live. And you're like, okay, but like, someone's gonna have to pay your rent, because you're in a, you know, a lease for a year. And like, there's things that are gonna have to be done. Like, how do you handle that? Well, I don't have to because life will um, teach them that. <laughs> yeah, um, Their good friend life will humble them just the way my good friend life has humbled me. And I'm sure your good friend life has humbled you. Like when you're out of reach, you'll be notified. You'll be notified because it won't work. And then you're sort of back at square one. But I do think my experience has been to be on the receiving end of hearing a lot of these stories for women. I wish women were a little, a little lighter hearted about it. Generally, my experience is the opposite, which is that a woman has to almost die before she will change her life. A hundred percent. And Glennon Doyle told me that as well about when she was in her first marriage with Craig and she had so many autoimmune diseases, which often happens to women when they're dying and pleasing everybody else. And um, she was bedridden for, for almost a year. And she said to him, when we're old, can we move? They were living in the North. She said, when, when we're old, can we move to Florida so that I don't have to be cold and freezing all the time? And he said to her, why do we have to wait until we're old? Why don't, why don't we do that now? And this was the first story she ever told me when we became friends and we met. And she casually tossed off this line and said, you know, why does a woman have to almost die before she's willing to consider making a change? And I, it's, I made her stop and say it again because that's what I witness. I don't witness people blithely just tossing off their lives and their obligations. I witness people staying until the alternative has become literally unsurvivable. Yeah. Um, and I wish they would stop a little sooner. <laughs> I agree. I see sooner. that as well. I feel like that's yeah. one of the reasons why I love doing this every week and and now every day is because I want to reach that person that is neglecting themselves and doesn't have the gift that I had of a brain tumor to make changes because I was brought to my knees. Um, yeah. But there, you know, I guess the question was more for like the millennial base. That is, yeah. it's more of them because it's like our generation is a little different and, um, you know, the over let's say 40 is more of, you know, what you're Thank saying. You for calling me part of that generation. I appreciate that <laughs> as a 50 year old. Yeah. I'm part of that generation. You know, the, the people in their forties, you know, um, <laughs> 40 and up, we are, we are the ones that are doing that for sure. I, yeah, I don't think any, honestly, Maria, I don't think any generation will be spared suffering and hardship. I don't mm -hmm. think any human will be spared suffering and hardship, no matter how helicopter parented you were, 
no matter how entitled you may think you are. Um, it's the first noble truth of Buddhism, and, and I've never seen it contradicted by any evidence of life, that life is, that the life is suffering, um, and it's coming. Uh, I had a, a young woman, actually, in the in audience, a very sweet young millennial, recently raised her hand, and she said, you know, you keep talking about everything that you've learned through the suffering in your life, and I feel like I haven't had any, and I want to learn, and I want to grow, and I was like, don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> and everybody started laughing so hard, and I said, I don't mean that to sound like the voice of doom. I mean that to say, suffering knows where you live. It knows where we all live. It knows your home address. When it's your turn, there'll be a knock on the door and you'll get just what you need. And until then, just be grateful, you know, just be grateful that it's going well, you know, and don't worry, you know, whatever dose of suffering is your allotment in life, it's coming. And then comes the really big question, which is, can you turn that into grace? Can you turn that into transformation? Can you make catharsis out of it? Um, and that's the human side of what can we do with our suffering to make it not just be useless, wasted pain. And that's, I think, the most interesting possible way to, to live. But I would never, I'm not a parent, but if I, I would do what all parents do. I would try to shield my child from that as much as possible. And life would do what life does, which is introduce it when it's necessary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't worry too much about that. It's what's coming to people is coming to people. I know that because of my own, my own life. And you know that because of yours. And that's the ultimate humility um, to just have to surrender into that reality. Do you look at all pain and suffering as an opportunity for spiritual growth? It can be, but it needs your participation. And the example that I always think about this is back when I was a journalist and I was writing for GQ magazine, I did a profile of a guy named Jim McLaren. I've been thinking about him a lot lately. Um, Jim was this extraordinarily gifted, handsome, talented young man. He was an athlete and an actor. He went to Yale drama school. He had the world on a string. He was gorgeous. He was brilliant. He was beloved. And he was riding his motorcycle in New York City one day at the age of 20 and he was hit by a bus and he lost his leg. And he recovered and then became this formidable, powerful teacher um, about overcoming obstacles. And he became a motivational speech speaker and he became an athlete again and he became the world's foremost amputee triathlete. And he just was a, a picture of resilience and survival and you know, we can get through anything. Ten years later, he was in a in the triathlon and he was leading the pack on the bicycle and he was hit by a car and he became a quadriplegic. And it's it's just the most oh my appalling, god yeah, the most appalling story because he, as he said I thought I was done I thought my big karmic thing had happened um, and that's another piece of the humility that you have to carry of like as long as you're alive your story isn't finished yet in any yeah. direction and he tanked after that he he was not able for a long time to restore his spirit he became an addict he was so full of despair and rage and. Um, pulled his life back together, but with a lot, it was a lot harder the second time and, um, and became a teacher, became a student of spirituality. One of the most grace filled, just light filled people that I've ever met. And I asked him exactly that same question, right? I said, is pain uh, a conduit for transformation and for learning and for growth? And he said, only if you do the work. Otherwise he said, catharsis doesn't happen automatically. Um, just because something painful happened to you. Um, He said, transformation only occurs with your effort. And he said to me, don't ever waste your pain, Liz. It's one of the greatest tools. It's one of the greatest tools to transform your life, but only if you use it as that. 
Otherwise, it's just wasted suffering. Don't ever fall into wasted suffering. And I don't think there's a more eloquent answer than that or a more legitimate person to hear it from than the guy who lost his leg and then became quadriplegic. Like that's somebody who knows his way around pain, suffering and transformation. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's an invitation to level up every time. And don't you feel like, you know, these patterns that just keep coming are coming for us because we haven't still learned the lesson, whatever that lesson is to kind of get to the next level. I look at it like a video game. Yeah, that's a wonderful way to see it. And actually, Martha Beck, my friend, goes even farther and says, you designed it (laughs) before you were born. Your soul designed the video game to say, I want to give myself everything I need in this lifetime. Okay, I'm going to need a brain tumor. Okay, I'm going to need the love of my life to die. I'm going to need an addiction to wake me up. And, And that's a really radical way to think of it. I don't think any of us know what this is, what this experience of of human life is and consciousness is. I only know that for my, in my case, when I think of it, I like to think of it as earth school, you know? Um, And I actually was recently thinking about getting a tattoo that says earth school class of 1969, because that's Mm. when I came into earth school. And, um, and that it's a generous school, but it's a hard one. Mm -hmm. And it's, and you come here because you want to grow and you want to learn, and you want to transcend, and you want to shed all those attachments and bitterness and resentment and blame and rage and limitation and all of that. And life cooperates with that desire by giving you lots and lots and lots of opportunities to yeah. suffer until you either surrender or overcome whichever the lesson might be in that case. And um, I can't prove that it's earth school, but when I think of it as earth school, it makes it easier for me to walk through challenges. I'm like, oh, earth school. All right, this is sophomore year of our school now. Like I thought, yeah. we got through, and as soon as you get through one, they're like, "Okay, you did well on that. Here's another one." <laughs> yeah, I wonder how do you handle the incoming missiles? Let's say so for me, um, you know, I've stayed in in a practice for the last few years, and um, sometimes I'll get knocked off my feet a little bit, and and get really upset, like with my mom, when we're bumping our heads with her, and she's, Mm. you know, cognitively not doing well. And it's so frustrating to see somebody be a shell of who they were. And that was another part of the book that I really just loved is the, um, or one of the videos I was watching on you was um, you being honest about caretaking and how ugly caretaking can be. And I try to share that with people as well, because um, it's, it's a really brutal experience. And so I, I went outside the other day and I had my book, my Gabby Bernstein notebook, yeah. where I, I write my Esther Hicks notes and my Wayne Dyer notes and my Gabby notes and everything you're, that you're my people, Maria, you're my people, <laughs> right? So this is what I do when I'm suffering and I need to get myself back on track. And that's when I remembered, okay, pain, pain can create spiritual growth. It it can be that moment. So I'm like, okay, what am I trying? What am I supposed to be learning here with her? Mm. And then listening to you talk about the uh, medicine man. And when he, he illustrated that, you know, that, I don't know, it was almost like a human dog with the, the foliage coming out and the heart face and, and coming from the heart it stuck with me. And then I forgot what it was. And then all night I was trying to get back to that. And this morning I was trying to get back to that and, and remembering that lesson. And I think, you know, it's really, it's become something that's easier for me to have empathy and a lack of judgment 
for so many people when I'm interacting with them because it's such a calmer place to live in to to just be in that space and I felt that you are in that space but then I'm having a hard time with my mom now mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like okay um, reminder to come from the heart one. that's such a crucible uh, caretaking is such a crucible and it's such a it's such a furnace it, it it will burn you to ash you know it's one of those things that will just it'll break you and it will exhaust you and um I don't have kids, but I imagine it's that child, that child rearing is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, A friend of mine who's a psychiatrist says people have children in order to disavow themselves of the mistaken idea that they are good people. (laughs) Because if the, if you, your children will like push your buttons to the point where you just can't be a good person. And you're like, I can't believe I just exploded like that. You know, I, I think it's a combination. I think you said mercy and tolerance, you know, toward other people, but in those cases, when I'm broken and I'm shattered and I'm shredded, I know that that's a signal that the person I need to be extending mercy and tolerance to is myself right there. Um, mm. Because I, I can't be certain how everybody else is suffering. But if I'm on the brink, I know that I am. You know, So then that's when, as a steward of my own spirit and my own soul, that's when I try to reach out to myself and be like, okay, baby, what is, what, how can I help you? <laughs> How can I help you? Um, what do you need? How can we serve Liz today? Like, how are we going to get through this? And I've also just learned a lot of times when I'm, when I get brinksy, that's the word, the, the word I use for, for feeling like I'm on the brink. It's almost, I'm not say if I can say always, but always is such a strong word. Let me at least say almost always. It's almost always because I'm trying to control something that is beyond my control. Mm. Um, and, and that's an invitation for me to step back and be like, what, who, what business are you in right now that is beyond your ability to control? And that's making you crazy. It's making you crazy and it's making you angry. Um, and is there something here that you can let go of, even though all of your training tells you that you have to fix it and all of your training tells you that you have to solve it and do better? Can you quit? <laughs> and and I don't know what that necessarily means in terms, like with, with Rhea, when my partner Rhea was dying, I really went into that, into her death, absolutely certain that I was going to be the world's best caregiver and that I was going to um, create the most beautiful, gentle, loving, evolved space in which for her to pass gently. <laughs> I mean, I laugh about it now because it was actually what it was, was living hell. And, and it was the most humbling thing that I've ever gone through in my entire life. But and this was really post was... your spiritual growth. Oh yeah, dude, you should, you want to see my spiritual growth. You should have seen me during that. You're like, it was like, I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. And, and one of the things that I had to surrender to, um, that turned out to be so beautiful was that I wasn't actually a very good caretaker for her and that there were other people who were better at it. Her ex-girlfriend showed up um, and stepped in and took over. And I was like, oh, and I remember being so angry because Rhea kept saying, Stacy's such an angel. <laughs> I Stacey's know. An angel. She's so patient. She's such an angel. And I would get enraged and I'd be like, I'm the fucking angel. I'm the angel. I've given up my whole life. You know, I just go on yeah. and rant. And then one day I went for a long walk and I was like, and I was really angry because I had this belief, Rhea should not be calling Stacy an angel. She should not be calling her. I'm the one who should be an angel. And then I thought, is that true that she shouldn't be calling her an angel? And then I thought, what is the definition of an angel? Okay, the definition of an angel is somebody who comes in and lifts your troubles for you. And right now, 
she's Stacy's here lifting my troubles for me by taking care of Rhea yeah. better than I could. Oh, she's an angel, but she's my angel. Wow. <laughs> and the only thing I have to do to let that angel in is let go of needing to be the angel. Um, and if I can let go of that, then suddenly an angel has arrived. And I just dropped it. And then Rhea's ex-wife showed up. And all of a sudden, there were all these women from her past who were like, because everyone loved her and they all wanted to help yeah. her. At the beginning, I was like white knuckle controlling it. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to be the goddess. I wanted to be the one everybody said, God, Liz was so great the way she took care of Rhea. It broke me and it broke me till I had to be humble enough to let other people in and let them. And then by the end, I just very blatantly said to Stacy, I'm in service to you. What can I do to make your life easier? You're the point person here. You're doing this better than I can. Wow. If there's anything I can do to help, then you tell me. And the, the relationship that I now have with both of those women is one of actual sisterhood because of the humility to be able to say, it's your, take it, you know, I can't. Um, and, and for me, the words I can't don't come very easily, yep, yep. <laughs> um, but, but life definitely does her very best to teach me when to say that. And I, and the clue now is if I'm at the edge of stress and breakdown, Brinksing. I'm trying I'm brinksing and I'm trying to do something that, that I'm not good at. And it's I like that. time for me to, to quit. It's time for me to surrender. Well, there's just another permission slip for people to, to realize, because I say that to my dad all the time, you know, we're doing our best and we're, we're trying so hard and, you know, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very thankless job and you're, you always feel underappreciated and, and such. And so uh, it's also harder when you have a cognitive situation too. So you're just like, this really is difficult because you're like, does she know? Does she not know? What part of this is she understanding? Um, And And it's not like, I'm sure it's not like she wakes up every morning and thinks, how can I make life easy for the people who are taking care of me? No, 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 (laughs) not at all. Not at all. But I think, and this is what I've said to him. I'm like, dad, we're not caretakers like that we we have our roles that we play like i am the the medical i'm the intuitive i know what she needs i have taken her care to you know this place where you know she's coming up on four years with stage four brain cancer it's it's a very rare situation um but i'm like i know where my strengths are i can't have the level of patience it requires to get her down the stairs right? Like it's just a very, very different skill set. And so, um, I like you giving extraordinary. It reminds me when I was in college, I I worked for years for a family. They, they hired me to help their daughter with her homework. And, um, so I'd come over every afternoon and, and sit with her and help her with her homework. And her mom was a lawyer and she's very successful. And I always, I used to think like, what, I wonder why I'm doing this and why, you know, and one day her mom, because I still had some idea that moms are supposed to do that. Um, and, and one day she just said, I realized a long time ago, I'm actually not really good with a lot of the stuff about being a mother. Um, a lot of the stuff that involves really deep patience and stillness. Um, but I'm a really good provider. So it's really better for me to go out in the world and work and provide for my family and then hire people like you who are really patient and gentle with my kids <laughs> to take care of them. And I was like, that's amazing insight mm-hmm. to know that about yourself. And also way to stick a needle in the balloon of guilt of, um, you know, as a mother, you're supposed to be a certain kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and her kids are amazing. They turned out to be just wonderful people because she's like, I'm not gentle nourisher. 
I'm not patient, sit there all day and do your spelling test with you. Um, but I know who is, and I'm going to bring them in. Um, so yeah, I think if you can let yourself off the hook a little bit like that, um, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Elizabeth, (laughs) how did you deal? Know who you're not. (laughs) Totally. How did you deal with disagreements and how to care for Rhea with everyone involved? Sometimes really, really messily, Mm. um, sometimes with tears, sometimes with rage. Um, it wasn't, not everybody who was involved with Rhea's life from family to friends was in agreement. Um, it's, I don't know if there's a way to walk through that with absolute superhuman grace, unless you are literally an enlightened master. And I'm not, (laughs) I'm not, and feelings were hurt and people, um, relationships were altered and, and have never totally recovered. Um, I've done my best with it, but it's, it's messy. Um, Mm -hmm. it's messy and it's painful. I I guess mostly what I've tried to do is like be humble and honest about what is my part in this? What is my part in this disagreement? And usually my part is I'm trying to control everything. Um, and, and I think I'm right. (laughs) And I think I'm right. And, uh, and generally the other person also thinks that they are right. So that's now you're at war. Um, Mm -hmm. and and those wars can be really, really bitter um, when somebody else's life is involved. Um, or I, or some of us would think Rhea wasn't making the right decisions for her own self. Um, messy, ugly, hard, challenging, humiliating, humbling, <laughs> and difficult. And 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 I don't know that it's not supposed to be all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that it sanded me down so much and took away so many of my illusions of my own goodness and my own kindness and my own ability to handle things and whatever else it did. I don't know if that was the point, but I'm a much, much, much more humble person on the other side of having gone through that. I'm also much less likely to jump into a situation and say, I know how this should go. Um, because I actually have to admit that I don't often know how it should go. Mm, Very true. We have, um, a question in the chat actually, um, and it's it's uh, switching gears to kind of that spiritual journey and that travel you did with the Pray Love. Um, so Michael wants to know: Does Elizabeth think she could have taken her journey virtually? Uh, of course, <laughs> right now with everyone in quarantine, right, um, right. is there a way you think that you can take this journey? It's, well, if I were doing it now, I'd have to, wouldn't I? Right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of us are being forced into isolation, retreat, and solitude right now. And that is interesting. Um, that is an interesting thing. I The part of my journey for Eat, Pray, Love that was the most important by far was the peace in India, um, the four months that I spent at the ashram. And in that situation, I didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, I didn't leave. I was in that meditation cave six to eight hours a day. Um, I would sleep, I would sleep all night, wake up at four 30 in the morning, go to the morning chants, do my service, go into the meditation cave, do some chores, go to the meditation, scrub the temple floor, go to the meditation. It was just hours and hours and hours of silence where I had to endure my own company. And 
I can't tell you how many people after reading it, Pray Love said, I kept saying, I wish I could do something like that someday, but I can't afford it. Um, I wouldn't be able to go for that long. I've got a job. What's really interesting about this particular moment is suddenly it's like, okay, here you are. <laughs> uh, here you are. And I, and what I do see is people doing absolutely anything to avoid having to be in their own company and in their own solitude. And there's a level at which I completely understand that. This is like the constant Zoom parties and the, and the meetings and the, and the activities and the kind of frantic sense of like, how can we bring the world into our home so that I don't have to be lonely? Um, I totally get that. Humans are social animals and we need that connection in order to be healthy. But we're not only social animals, we're also spiritual animals. And there's not a single spiritual tradition in the world that does not advocate for silence stillness, isolation, and facing those feelings of loneliness, anger, resentment, frustration, boredom. What it felt like for me to be in that meditation cave for those first three months in India is what I'm seeing people feel like in this first three weeks of isolation that's happening here in the States. I was crawling out of my skin. I was suffering because I could not bear my own company. And the most important thing that I ever did was to just keep going back and back and back into that meditation cave every day until there was finally the beginnings of a peace, a truce between me and all the voices in my head, all the shame, all the anger, all the boredom, all the disappointment. And that's the most important thing I've ever done in my entire life. It's the basis for anything good in my life now. Um, so I don't want to assign people to sitting in stillness with their uncomfortable feelings, I just want to say there's really amazing gold to be found on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if it's, if it's too horrible, like keep busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but, but like everything, this is an invitation, you know, and invitations, you can take them or you cannot take them. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, I, I would definitely not have been able to have the the adventure that I had, but I'm having a different one now. Um, I've spent the last three weeks, I'm not seeing, I, I saw a friend yesterday for the first time. So for the first time in 21 days, I saw another person, but I've been completely alone here. Um, and it's been beautiful, but that's because I've done a lot of practice on being alone. Mm -hmm. I wonder what of all of your tools do you think you could share with people um, that could help them in this time? Well, I actually would share with you one of Martha Beck's tools. Um, Martha Beck is a, a wonderful life coach and a, and a dear friend of mine. And I've been hearing her in the last few weeks teaching this one a lot. And it's really simple and it's really concrete. Um, so what, what you do is, is you just, and I think it's easy for people to understand this because everybody knows that we have multiple voices in our heads and that those voices are often at war. It's not, I'm sure you all get it. And I'm not the only person who wakes up and the war begins as soon as you wake up. Like, so for me, I wake up and instantly a voice is like, you better exercise today. And another one's like, I don't have to. And the war begins. It's like the, the first <laughs> conscious, you know, whatever it is. It's like, they're already, I'm like, who are you fighting inside my head? So true. Um, so people right now are, are, are experiencing a lot of really, really difficult human emotions. Fear, boredom, anxiety. Remember too that boredom is often a cover for anxiety, right? What we call boredom is usually just anxiety mm -hmm. hiding behind ennui, right? But what you actually are when you're feeling bored is anxious. 
Um, so fear, boredom, anxiety, anger, blame, loneliness, despair, these are really big ones. So if you take one of them and sort of personify them and you ask, for instance, your fear, let's go with that one because a lot of people are in a lot of fear right now. You get a notebook out and you say to your fear, I want to let you speak and I want to listen to you respectfully and nonviolently and just tell me what it is that you're feeling and let it speak and be respectful and be nonviolent in your listening. Don't interrupt. Don't try to shame it. Just let it, let it out. So give it a few minutes to say everything that it's afraid of and then say, thank you so much. I have the greatest respect for you. I really appreciate your honesty with me, just like you would do in any difficult conversation when you're trying to help people through conflict, but you're doing it in here. Mm. And then you say, I wonder if you could step aside for a minute here um, now that you've been heard. And I'd like to call wisdom to the front. And wisdom, would you please come and would you please tell us what we need to know right now? And then you allow wisdom to write whatever wisdom would tell you. And it is the most extraordinary exercise, Maria, because we all have these deep reservoirs of wisdom that are buried underneath our fear and our anxiety and our rage and our blame and our shame. And when Martha talks about this and she talks about the people she's taught this to and how instantly it's like this physiological shift where they go from panicked and stressed and, and terrified and young and little and, and, and horrified. And then they go into this wisdom space and out of them just pours, you would think the Buddha was writing to them, you know, but it's coming from within. Um, it's coming from, we've all absorbed a lot of wisdom over the years, whether we want to admit it or not, <laughs> you know, it's out there and it filters in and it lands in you. And so then your wisdom will give you really, really good advice and say, okay, this is what we're facing right now. And, and things are probably not going to change anytime soon. And I recognize you, whatever it says, I can't tell you what your wisdom would say. Um, but, but that exercise also works with anger. Um, and it also works with sadness. It also works with boredom and anxiety. You ask them to speak, you give them a voice. And then once they've been respectfully listened to, you ask them to step aside and you invite wisdom into the room and see what it has to say. Wow. I'm going to do that. I it's love that. Good. And it's really simple. I love that. <laughs> it's really simple. And you'll be so moved by what wisdom says. I mean, some of you, if, if any of you out there follow me, you know that I've, I've talked about this a lot. I've had a tradition for the last 20 years of writing myself letters every day from love. Um, and it's a dialogue generally between my fear and love. It's really similar to what Martha's talking about here. Um, but I call it love um, because what I'm always craving is unconditional love. That's the big hole inside of me that I'm always trying to fill. And, um, and I'm just so moved by the way love shows up when I ask her in, you know, and my, my fear goes on a, on a rampage and my anxiety goes on a rampage and then love shows up and she's so kind and she's so generous and she just says, she never gives advice. Love never gives advice. <laughs> yeah. um, I always say, what should I do? And love says, I don't know, but whatever you do, I love you. And whatever you do, I'll be with you through it the way that we've been through everything. And I can't tell you how this is going to turn out. And I see that you're really anxious, but I'm with you and I've got you. I was with you at the beginning of your life. I'll be with you at the end. I've been with you through everything. You can't lose my love. You can't, you don't have to earn it. I don't need you to be a thought leader. I don't need you to be transformative. I don't need you to grow or anything. I don't need anything from you. I just love you and I'm with you. So that's another one that you can invite in is you can ask unconditional love to come and speak to you as well. It works best on the page, I find, um, in writing because you can slow your mind down um, into sentences that actually will still your mind. 
I like that. I, I also was moved when you were talking about um, in City of Girls, the love letter to New York and how you felt like you could be yourself there. And I kept thinking to myself that I wanted to ask you if you feel like you 100% can be yourself now, or do you feel like it's still a journey? Um, well, New York has definitely been my name for New York personally is the great mother. Um, and maybe you feel that way about California in terms of the place. Oftentimes there's like, if you're not from a place and then you find your place and, and you feel like it's just welcoming you unconditionally and saying, we want to, you know, we want to help you succeed and we want to give you all you need. New York doesn't have a reputation for being gentle, but I've always experienced it to be that because it's a place where I got to finally go and be who I really was. Um, I am not always truly in my integrity. I'm not always truly authentic. Um, the closer the relationship, the more likely I am to fall out of my integrity. Um, because there's intimacies that are deep and old and twisted and, you know, vines that have grown up around each other. Family is the final frontier always. Um, you know, Glennon talks about this too, where she says, people will always say right around Thanksgiving or Christmas that, you know, I feel like I really had myself together and stable and serene. And then I go home and why can't I be myself with my own family? And she's like, that's mm. the last place you're going to be able to be yourself. Yeah. It's like, that's the final frontier. Ram Das, who recently died said, if you think you're enlightened, go home and spend Thanksgiving with your family, try it out. You know, that's, that's usually where you can find it out. So definitely I feel like when I'm with my when I'm with my most intimate relatives, I still slip into old coping mechanisms and old behaviors of pleasing, of um, sacrificing my truth for the good of other. You know, it's very difficult to do in, in those settings, but I'm I'm getting better at it, and um and I'm and I'm really gentle on myself about it now. I don't expect that I should be able to deliver Buddha um, <laughs> Christmas dinner. It's like. You know, and then I'll just go in a room by myself and I'll write to love and say, I feel like I didn't really hold it together today. And love will be like, that's okay, baby. I, I love you anyway. <laughs> what a great a practice. And you really do that every day. <laughs> I do it every single, I'm looking at like rows of journals um, on the shelf across from wow. me that are just pages and pages of it. And um, I mean, if there is a secret to happiness, it is, I think it's friendliness towards yourself. Um, and I think even more than love, maybe just the word friendliness, you know, just a sense of friendliness, like, oh, kid, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I'll look out for you. Oh. <laughs> um, it's it's such a sweetness that I feel toward myself these days and, and a sense of um, really having her back, you know, like having Liz's back. And I don't always, but I always know that if I fail myself, I'll find out very quickly because I'll be in pain. So anytime I'm not in my integrity, I very quickly start to suffer. Mm -hmm. and, and then and then when I suffer, that's a clue that I'm out of my integrity. And then that's a clue that the first thing to do is show mercy to myself for my humanness. And then we'll try it again tomorrow. <laughs> I love that. It reminds me of like the Dickens process where you have to kind of go back and and hug that six-year-old self of yours and say, you wouldn't beat up your six-year-old self. You would say, oh my God, you little cute little chubby cheek little thing. Like... It'll be funny. Maybe. Oh, baby, you still think this person needs to love you? Oh, poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll love you, you know? Like, and, I, and sometimes I think the way I try to teach it too, because people oftentimes have so much shame and hatred, 
that they actually really could beat up their own inner child the way, but they seem to be kinder to animals. So, so sometimes I say, imagine that you went to um, an animal shelter and you adopted a, a dog or a cat who had been really traumatized and you took it home and you wanted it to be able to learn to trust you and you wanted to teach it to that you were safe and you wanted to like you would never yell at it you would never kick it you would never be like god why are you such a loser (laughs) you you know you would never you would make it the softest home you would give it everything that it needed you'd be so tender with it and that's true stewardship of yourself is treating yourself like you're that shaking animal that you just adopted from the pond I love that. Pound, not from the pond. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it's such an important message for everybody to hear right now too. And um, I know we are out of time. You have a, a, a very busy life and I feel like we didn't get to any of the creativity talk that I wanted to talk about because our conversation just flowed into another place, which was beautiful. It went just where it was supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully you'll give us some time in the future. We can talk about creativity and yeah. Um, I would love that. I would love that. Take care of you. Thank you. I always ask one last question of all of our guests and it's what are you doing every day to get better? Writing myself letters from love every single day, every single day. I'm going to add that to my, my routine. I take a a good (laughs) nugget or two from every show and I apply it and um, and it's been amazing for me. So I, I am so grateful for your time and for your beautiful messages and the tools and everything that you shared today. Um, it's going to help all of us get better. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. Nice to meet you. Have a great Bye. day. Wow. I mean, I have like a zillion more things that I wanted to, to get to, but you know, you only have so much time in life and, uh, I look forward to our next conversation. She was amazing. We're really connecting to Maria. I, I think she's really earnest and sincere when she says she'll come back and I can't wait for that show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's really great. I just think that um, she has such an honest way to approach things. You know, it's, it's always nice to talk to somebody who is revered in this thought leader way and hear that they flounder sometimes too, because, you know, Gabby Bernstein, when she's on the show, she says the same thing. Like if I'm not in practice, I'm going to flounder. And so it's, it's a great way for us to have mercy on ourselves as well. Uh, when we flounder and know that it's a continued journey and a continued process to get better. Yeah. I find her to be just so generous too. Like, I feel like she really does want to reveal who she is to us Mm -hmm. at her best and at her worst. And just like you said, Maria, for this, you know, revered speaker who has eight acclaimed books to hearing her speak about Rhea too. I was like, man, you are just so human. Thank you for letting us see how human you are, because I feel so at ease about my own stuff too, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyhow, that is, uh, that is our day. Thank you guys, as always. Um, if you would do us the kindness, um, rate, comment, subscribe, share this with a friend, share this on social media, let them know uh, what we're doing here. And in the meantime, you can um, stay up to date with Elizabeth's endeavors on her social media account. You can follow her at Elizabeth underscore Gilbert underscore writer. Um, you can follow me at Maria Menunos at Jeff, Jeffrey Crane Graham. 
Stephen Lemieux photo. And remember, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.